This episode of Office Hours is brought to you by Urban Attitude. For everything from sleepwear to outerwear, Urban Attitude will have you decked out in no time. Visit urbanattitude.ca for all of the latest cutting-edge styles at prices that won't break your student budget. If you use our discount code MG15OFF, you'll get 50% off and flat $5 shipping. That's MG15OFF at urbanattitude.ca. From the Bull and Bear, I'm Harry Turner. And I am Katrina Brindle. And this is Office Hours. Hey, Tiana, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Tiana Mitrovic is a news editor for The Bull and Bear. I just kind of wanted to ask you, um, what recently happened with the SMU elections? Right. So the SMU elections that are coming up in March, uh, basically what happened was the nomination period, which I believe is only about a week long, normally had to be extended by 48 hours because Basically, uh, four out of the six positions that are uh, supposed to be filled were, there were like no candidates running for them. So uh, there was the extend the extension. And then after the deadline, uh, every position had at least one candidate, although most of those are still running unopposed. And so just to fill in the context for those who might not know, is this an anomaly? Are SMU elections usually more competitive? Do they usually have to extend the deadline or no? Um, I feel like upon first glance, it might seem like an anomaly that so few people are running. But like looking back at the past few years, it's actually not. Um, last year, five out of the seven positions I ran were also unopposed. The same can be said for 2016. So in the past few years, uh, this is basically the trend that's been going on. If you look back a little further, though, um, in 2012, like none of the positions I ran, there were six positions during that election campaign. Um, no one ran unopposed. There were 19 candidates that ran. So I think looking further back, like maybe five, 10 years ago, you see a large difference. But in the past few years, no, it's pretty much the same. And so just to flush out that trend, why do you think there are so few people running? Like, why do you think that is an increasing trend that we see in SMU politics? I think maybe in just the past few years, there's been so much volatility um, within SMU and just so many scandals that First of all, um, just around campus, no one really seems to have the most faith in SMU as an institution. And I think it's, um, you can really see that on campus, on social media, especially <laughs> on some of the uh, meme pages that you see. Um, and so I think that really plays a big role in it, um, honestly. It just doesn't, I feel like a lot of people just don't see it as an institution that's doing the best work that it can be doing, and they're just disillusioned with it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Um, we really love having you, and I hope you have a lovely rest of your evening. Thanks. Thank you. So clearly these issues with SMU elections are a pattern that goes on year from year. So we thought it would be good to invite an insider perspective on these issues onto the podcast. So we invited Alexander Dow, who was a candidate for VP University Affairs last year, to talk to us about it. So Alex, you ran for a SMU exec position last year. I did. I ran for Vice President University Affairs. And what was that experience like? Um, well, I've done, I've ran a number of campaigns. So in my second year, I ran for v 
BPCOM of EUS. My third year, I ran for EUS president, mm-hmm. and uh, my then campaign was for senator, and then uh, I ran for VP University Affairs. Mm-hmm. I have a very clear track record of winning, if you've all noticed. <laughs> I have one of the four, but um, one, I think... One of the biggest things I took away from the SMU experience was being able to talk to everyone. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize is that if you do a lot of ground game, there's a lot of classrooms you can cover. And most people, especially if you're in science or engineering, you know, you typically focus on the buildings of lower campus, like Bronfman, you focus on. If you're, if you're in business, you focus on Bronfman. But otherwise, you focus on the arts building. If you're in arts, you focus on Automass. If you're in geographical sciences, you focus on chemistry. Uh, you go to Automass. So it's like, it's very specific. And one of the things that was great about UA was that you got to go meet a lot of people. So like I was meeting people in the education building. I was meeting people outside of my faculty that, you know, it was, it was an experience on how to interact with students. And I've always said that there's... SMU positions really, there's two aspects to them. The first is that you need to be able to communicate with students. Mm -hmm. And that's so important because if you can't basically explain what students want to admin, then you're not going to be able to perform your job. And it, it goes the other way too. You need to be able to communicate and understand and converse with admin. And so that you really need to make it go both ways. And I've seen a lot of people in a lot of positions because I am old AF, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people flounder because mm-hmm. they can't communicate. And that's one of the things that, especially when you look at accessibility of positions, um, there's a lot more people who tend to run from arts and from, well, not science, but arts and from faculties that generally have lower workloads. What are some of the, the difficulties you came across? when you were running? What, what are some of the things that you would consider obstacles for people who would want to run? I think the biggest thing is how much time do you want to spend on your degree? There's a financial accessibility barrier to being a SMU executive. And also, there's a time limit. If I don't know if uh, you have the... E- you probably all got the email. But uh, Suzanne Fortier just uh, emailed about the Board of Governors meeting. And in there, there is a little document that outlines kind of like McGill goals. And one of them is actually making sure that students graduate within six years. Mm. And so that's a huge hurdle because by the time students get to uh, being in an executive position, like they want to run for it, they're in their fourth or their fifth year. In my case, I was in my fourth year going to be be my fifth year as an exec, and then sixth year I would graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I know lots of executives this year; they've extended their degree by a semester or a year, and that isn't accessible to students. And I say that because some have financial barriers, some you know they have visas that aren't going to be renewed. Um, what are they going to do? How are they going to live here for the summer? Where's their financial security? Where's where's their housing security? You know, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a number of different factors that come into play, and that's something that we have had to really look at, especially with our executive roles in the EUS, you know, how do we make it so that, because our executives don't even get a stipend, mm-hmm. how do you make it so that you can continue keeping the interest but expand your knowledge pool? Like you need to get more people involved in order to have more kind of broad range of services that people can yeah. access. 
Do we think it's just a like a financial accessibility obstacle? Or do you think there's larger obstacles within the organization, within those positions, within the communication about what those positions entail? I think the biggest thing is that you need to look at the candidates themselves. Mm-hmm. If you look at the candidates, you'll see they're either first years or they've been planning this since they got to McGill. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I, I speak directly at the presidents and the VP external here. And I think that's a huge thing is that you can see the gap in years. You can see that the people who are in Trey's year and the people who are in Korean's year, they have been demotivated, that's Mm -hmm. the word, (laughs) demotivated um, by all the drama that's plagued Mm Smoo from my years. Like, when I entered, it was Farningate. Like, I am one of the last few that remembers getting that literally have that email. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, we thought my year, oh, this is all fun and hilarious. And now there are people my year saying, do not run for smooth for the life of you because mm-hmm. it's going to tear you apart. And it's unfortunate, but that's literally, um, that's, that's kind of like people just feel dejected. They don't feel that they can change a broken system. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a lot of knowledge on bylaws and a lot of knowledge that people don't necessarily want to acquire to make these changes. Like I literally worked with Trey uh, to pass the GA um, amendment last year in the referendum. That was a pain and a half to do. But, you know, by using my experience as a c- candidate for UA, I was able to go out there and, you know, actually make sure that the, our goal, which was pass the referendum, was accomplished. Thanks so much for coming on. That was a lot quicker than what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Great interview, Harry. Thanks, Katrina. Yeah, I, it's interesting what was brought up. I think there are obviously some issues with SMU, with people running for SMU, with the candidates for SMU, with general structures within SMU, with the organizations of SMU, with how SMU presents itself to all the students or students. Um, and I think a lot of those were, were brought up. And I think it's it's clearly important that, you know, better students in competitive races try to fill these positions. Well, the thing that was really nice about that interview is I think it just fills in a lot of the student population that might not be all up on, like, the recent events or as current involved. events as involved, per se, um, in SMU because there are a lot of financial constraints that he talked about that I think are more structural that mm-hmm. we very seldom kind of shed light on because usually when people say that they're not interested in SMU, it's far more of a decision rather than actually something structural that's inhibiting them. Uh, so that was a really interesting point that Alex brought up. I really like that. Yeah. In relation to that, to the argument about the financial obstacles that face um, students running for student government, McGill is actually second to last in a, uh, a UBC study. That's the, the UBC student newspaper. M- um, McGill student uh, SMU execs are second to last in terms of annual salary of all the universities in Canada. And so clearly, if you want students to run, if you want that to not be such a financial obstacle, especially considering they're giving up a year of school, they may have to take another fifth year, that's more tuition. Um, you, you maybe want that salary to, to be able to reflect the contribution they, they give to the to campus. Of course, and also like hours given are not exclusively done through, I mean, obviously the hard work that they do, but there's an immense amount of emotional labor that goes into being a SMU candidate Mm -hmm. and for sometimes reasons deserved as well as perhaps reasons that are slightly inflated, like they are the butt of a lot of jokes because like for the average student that doesn't know about the inner workings of SMU, the only thing they're going to know about are the scandals. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the emotional toll that that must take on the average SMU exec is... uh, it's pretty hefty. Honestly, when I was looking at the candidates list, I'm really not surprised that it's either a ton of fresh faces to the scene that are that are 
coming into it or uh, just very few people in general. Yeah, we're missing that that middle group of people who have come to McGill, who have learned about what SMU does, who've been interested in it, wanted to to affect some kind of change on campus, and then run for positions. We have people, you know, later on in their careers who have been kind of gearing up to it their whole their whole student career. And then you have these the, the younger people who are just jumping in. We're missing that, that middle ground. And the thing is, neither of those groups are necessarily bad, right? I mean, having fresh faces come into the organization can be a good thing, as well mm-hmm. as people who've been prepping for this their entire career at university. I mean, those are two groups that are really valid contributors to any smooth politics that happens to go on. The problem is not the individuals necessarily that are running. It's just the fact that they're running in elections that currently aren't as competitive as they should be. Yeah. And that is something that I think Alex really touched on is the fact that regardless of who's running, you want them to go through the vetting process that is an electoral process. Sure. And you know, when you get down to it, you're graduating, I'm graduating. Yeah. And you know what? I'm sure they can figure it out. You know, there's yeah. some solutions, I bet, to the issues that exist. And I'm sure they'll We don't they'll have find them. Those. Godspeed, kiddos. You'll do fine. Live your life.